Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. This episode of Collective Wisdom is brought to you by Forever Projects, a non-profit set up by Mark and Anna Domkins after they had returned to Australia having spent three years teaching in Tanzania where they adopted three children. Seeing firsthand some of the work that was being done by the orphanage Forever Angels to prevent children being abandoned in the first place, Mark and Anna started by simply sharing some of the stories of hope and optimism with family and friends back at home and were inspired by the response to Dare to Dream Bigger. They took that little seed of a dream and today Forever Projects works alongside four local agencies in Tanzania helping women to get access to healthcare and education when they most need it and empowering them to create a sustainable future for themselves and their families to live the life of dignity and hope they deserve. Through the power of the collective, they've been able to send over a million dollars to Tanzania to help transform lives forever. You can find out more about how to donate or become a subscriber to this inspiring project that is transforming lives at foreverprojects.org. 100% of your donation goes directly to helping those who really need it, which is why this sponsorship takes the form of a gift exchange. Mark exchanged his valuable time to share the remarkable story of the journey he and Anna have been on, and you can hear all about that wisdom in episode 15. And in return, I'm here to spread the word about their incredible project. Thanks so much to Mark and Anna and the team at Forever Projects for the inspiring work they're doing. Hello there, my wise friends, and welcome to episode 16 of the podcast. Last week was World Autism Awareness Week, so it's doubly fitting that I have an amazingly courageous guest to share her wisdom with you today. Amy Richards had a late diagnosis of autism at the age of 37 after suffering for many years with bouts of what she now knows to be autistic burnout. As Amy said herself, every week should really be Autism Awareness Week. But she's someone who's taken her challenge and turned it into an absolute superpower. And last year, she launched her own podcast, Square Peg, which kind of sums up how it can feel to operate as a neurodiverse person in a neurotypical world. She already has a global audience and her work to change the narrative around what it means to be an autistic person and move away from the often unhelpful labels and misconceptions about autism is just so invaluable. This is a conversation that was really close to my heart as my own nephew Cameron is also on the autistic spectrum and he's struggling at the moment now that he's 12 to find a school where he can thrive. He managed pretty well in a primary environment but The enormous size and scale of the secondary schools presents him with a real challenge, as it does for anyone with sensory issues. It's just not an environment where he can thrive and learn. I know it's been a real struggle for his mum and dad to get all the necessary statements, and they've then found that there's just a drastic shortage of places in specialist schools. So this is partly why hearing Amy's story is so vitally important as she talks about her own journey to understanding her needs 
Rather than asking how she can best fit into a neurotypical world, instead she asks how she can shape her world to best fit around her and some of the challenges autism presents. As ever, one of the main reasons for starting this podcast was because I'm such a passionate advocate of of lifelong learning and I've learned so much through my conversation with Amy. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I'm really pleased to say that my guest today is Amy Richards. I first met Amy when I was doing my coach training last summer, and we were encouraged to go out into the world and put into practice what we'd been learning as coaches. So I reached out to Amy because she just announced in a Facebook group that we were both members of that she was thinking of working with a coach. And I look back now and think, isn't it funny how once you set an intention, the universe often responds in the most magical of ways. So we started working together and Amy told me her amazing story of finally being diagnosed at the ripe old age of 37 with so-called high-functioning ASD or autistic syndrome after a prolonged period of depression, which she now recognizes as being autistic burnout, which had been caused by the strain that her role as a teacher was putting her under. And it must have taken great courage for Amy to give up that role and find ways to work that were better suited to her neurodiversity. And she now has a very successful business as a freelancer, working with coaches and other service providers to grow their online businesses. But what's most remarkable about Amy has been her courage to take her own struggles and misfortune and to turn them into a force for good. Within a few weeks of working together, she had identified her vision for creating a community to help people who face the same issues that she's faced in her life. And she's gone on to launch the Square Peg podcast in which each week she speaks to autistic women as well as trans and non-binary people to share stories about their experience and how best to navigate work, relationships and life in general as neurodiverse adults. And from the response and feedback she's getting, she really is helping others to get either a diagnosis or share useful resources they need, or just to find a community where the issues they face are truly understood. So welcome, Amy. I'm so thrilled you agreed to join me here on the podcast. I love your podcast. And I'd just like you to tell me a bit more about the story about how it all came about. Well, I am so pleased to be here. I'm so thrilled to be invited on to speak. And yeah, so Square Peg, it's something that's been in the back of my mind for a long time. Um, So while I was going through my own diagnosis process for autism, which was about five years ago, Mm -hmm. I started writing a blog to help me to kind of process it. And I'd always thought I'd like to take that further. And then I started the business and things got a bit crazy and it kind of, I stopped writing it. Mm. I'd always had this drive to do more with it and just to share the story more um, and to connect with other people. So about a year before we met, I first started thinking about a podcast because I love podcasts. I'm a massive podcast listener, Mm -hmm. but something was just holding me back. And I think it was just that sense of, well, who am I? to do something like that. Yeah. I'm an expert, apart from obviously being autistic, but other than that, I'm no kind of expert. I'm not qualified in inverted commas to do this. And it, I just kept putting it off and putting it off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so when we started working together, I think it, it, it showed me that, I think it's so important when you're gonna do something like that to just do it 
just to take some action. Yeah, yeah. So the action I took was basically to just think, well, what's the minimum thing I need to do to get this started? I thought, well, if I ask for some guests, I'll then have to just start. Yeah, yeah. So I did. I just went to some Facebook, some Facebook groups that I belong to um, that were relevant and, and asked. And I ended up with five people within a week saying yes to me. And I remember, I can still remember, you took a week off work and I was blown away with, you went from almost, it was almost needing permission to do this. Because I remember you saying, you know, who am I to do this? And I, I was sort of reflecting back to you, who are you not to do it? You know, you have all the experience of your own experience and that is enough to to make it worth it, to just see whether this might work. Mm -hmm. And the next thing I knew, you'd taken a week off work and blow me if you hadn't launched it. You know, you'd recorded these episodes, you'd gone and got a book about how to interview people and you had just got on with it in such a magical way. So how did it feel that first, because we were talking just before we, we started recording about, you know, you look back on those first couple of episodes, which I still think are brilliant, and you said, oh, they sort of make me cringe now because I've evolved so much since then. But how did it feel that first day of sort of launching stuff and, and putting it out there in the world? Do you know what? The actual launching of it was fine. It was recording the first episode. That was the thing that absolutely terrified the life out of me to the point where I was so nervous about it, I almost cancelled. Oh, and that, yeah. And thank goodness you didn't, because mm. look at what's happened. Yeah. But I kind of knew that it was one of those situations where, you know, when you just have that fear, that real strong fear, and you, it's such a bad one that you know you have to do it. Yeah. Because there's always something really good on the, on the, on the other side of that sort of fear, I think. Absolutely. You Absolutely. just push through. So I was actually, I was literally shaking. <laughs> and what I was doing was talking to a person. On, yeah, on Zoom, and, and then we break it down and think this is just a conversation. But on the other side of that, I am going to put it out into the world and people are going to see me for who I am. And that's quite exposing and all the things yes. go with that. But I think what's most magical about that is understanding that that fear, once you break through it, once you move towards it, starts to, it doesn't completely disappear but, you know, now when you when you record an episode, presumably you don't feel anything like that sort of fear. It's it's something you've embraced and learned yes. to dance with. I think it's always good to have a little bit of nerves. Mm. Mm. Same as if you're on stage or something, I think, people, or, or delivering a presentation. Like if you've got no nerves at all, it often ends up being quite flat. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, yes. I think that adrenaline does, does mm. as long as it doesn't stop you in your tracks, like you're saying, you know, I almost didn't do it. I was no, so I, mean, I don't feel fear like that now, obviously. It's just a, a little bit of apprehension and nerves because obviously each time I do it, it's a completely new person to me. I never meet my guests beforehand. So it's the first time we've spoken apart from on, just you know, having conversations on email or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of, of nerves, but um, I, think that's, I say that's a good thing. But certainly no, the fear, that, that fear of that initial one. And I should explain that for, for someone in your position with autism, you know, that meeting people for the first time is, can be really confronting. It can be more of a challenge than, than... Yes. Though I think because the people I'm interviewing are also autistic, right. I think we have an almost natural understanding. Yeah. So I will probably, we'll probably wrap to each other in a different way than if my guest was a neurotypical person. Yeah, and you just don't because we've got a shared frame of reference, so we we kind of get each other's communication style. Yeah, but understanding that communication style, and then what you're what you're helping people to do is 
is really communicate how we all approach things. You know, if our brains work in a slightly different way, there's no wrong or right answer, but there are just ways that you've adapted and tailored your approach that make life so much easier for you. And now you're sharing that with the world. So I, I'm just really interested to hear, because I was looking at your website for the podcast and there's so many lovely bits of feedback where people have reached out to you and just said, what a difference that it's made. So tell me a bit more about those stories. Oh, well, first of all, I absolutely love getting that sort of feedback mm, because absolutely. I mean, that's what drives me really. Not, not people saying nice things about me because that's the material, but saying things about what I'm doing and, and the effects having on them. That's the bit that, yeah, that really gets me because that's kind of the whole purpose really the whole thing. I mean, I discovered the power of stories when I started writing my own story mm. as part of my process of going through diagnosis and, and the kind of fallout from that. Because even when it's welcomed and you want the diagnosis, it's still a massive big deal at the age of, you know, 37 to have to almost rebuild your whole sense of self, really. Yeah. Um, so writing my own story down was something I did. It was quite a cathartic process. Um, it really helped me to kind of figure out, you know, learn about myself and, and what I wanted out of life. So it kind of made sense to me then to create a platform where other people could share their stories and we could share them together so that other people could benefit from that. So my absolute favourite piece of feedback I've had so far now, I interview, I've interviewed people all over the world. So I've interviewed people in all parts of the UK, Australia, Finland, um, the Caribbean, wow. USA, Canada, which is amazing yeah. that all these people want to come and talk to me. But what's really struck me is that everyone's got so many shared stories. So it doesn't matter what part of the world we grew up in, mm. there's so much commonality. So my favourite piece of feedback, I had one person who messaged me um, just a few weeks back and just said, Listening to the podcast is like hearing myself in 10 different accents. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And, and I just thought, that, well, that's how it feels to me. Because yeah. that sense of connection, you know, across that huge expanse of, of geography <laughs> to find someone that has had the same experiences as you. Yeah. And who may have been feeling quite alone and that, that they were the only person who felt like this, that, um, mm, yes. well, we, it doesn't, yeah, we all have a different lens that we see life through. But if you're in that position of your brain doesn't quite operate at the same in the same ways as whatever normal is in inverted commas, yes, but that can feel really isolating. And it can. And you know, when, when I look back and think, you know, when I first started to realise that I was probably autistic myself, it was about two thousand and five. So we're talking, you know, now there's a massive community online, there's, there's podcasts, there's you know, people writing books. At that time, you know, it was pre-Facebook. Facebook didn't yeah. exist for the public at that point. There was no, no podcasts, so that, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. So it was really isolating. There's no way of finding other people. And just sometimes, you know, as we said at the beginning, it's not always that you need to get a diagnosis. You might already have a diagnosis, but just finding a community of people where you feel completely understood. Is, yes. Is and I haven't, I haven't found that until, well, probably actually for me, it was probably Facebook groups. But once when I got my diagnosis and I started looking for other people. Yeah. I found yeah. a great community on Facebook at that point. And I've since found a great community on Instagram, on Twitter. Yeah. 
because all, all those things exist now, which is brilliant. As you say, that feedback is really validating what you've done, which is to say, you know, that who am I to do it? And you're not an expert as in a medical professional, but you are an expert in what it feels like to try and operate in a world where things that shouldn't be challenging, you know, ordinarily mm. are more challenging. I mean, it just talk me through. I remember being really impressed with the way even the language. So you will refer to people with autism rather than autistic people. No, other way around. Oh, yeah. So th even that, you know, it's like it has it. Ha that can make such a such a big impact to to people yeah forgive me forgive me you no, know that's okay that's okay it, um, it really to be honest that's important. that's really good that you've said that because i think that's a really important thing to bring up yeah so many people make that error and there are there are autistic people who also prefer to use what we call people first language as in person with autism so there are autistic people that prefer that but the majority that i have come across are like me and prefer autistic people yeah because it's not a label it's who we are right you know if, if somebody took my autism out of me i'd be a completely different person because it's how my brain works yeah so and saying to, to me yes yeah, yeah. to me yeah. saying that i'm a person with autism suggests or implies that it's some kind of illness or a disease or something that could be cured or that should be cured. Yeah. Whereas it's not, it's a fundamental part of my wiring. So yeah. therefore it's what I am. It's not and something I have. That's what I love about what you've done. You've turned it into a complete superpower. If you like, one of your strengths is that autism helps you understand other people in the same predicament, you know, who are facing the same issues and you are really using it to your greatest advantage you know once you once you accept that that's the way your brain operates how can i then turn that into my greatest strength which is yes yeah that i that i agree with it's it's a, it's a case of it's got massive limitations and challenges and that is a fact and mm -hmm. it comes with a whole host of problems that are not all solvable right but I think it's, for me, it's been a case of, I now understand how I operate, how I tick and what I need. So how can I make my world fit around that? Right. So I don't really, I don't necessarily see it as a superpower, well, but I see it as I need to make the world, my world fit. Yeah. My yeah. brain and, and my needs to operate in the best possible way. Um, and what I'm hearing is, you know, it, it's, it comes back to that who I am myself, understanding my, that I don't need to change myself or feel less than or there's something wrong with me. It's about adapting yes. the world around me and helping people to understand how they can best help me work within those those limitations that I often find in the world. And yeah, so, so powerful. And that's what you're doing. You're shining a light on what it means to have some of those limitations, but also how how simple things like even the use of language can can make a real difference to people in similar circumstances. Yes, I suppose, yeah, I guess so with the language. I mean, I think, as I say, it's, it's a case of some autistic people prefer to use the language differently. So it's about, but it's, it's about doing what's right for you, but not having judgment. 
Oh, no. that's so important. No, I would never dream of telling somebody else how, how, what to call themselves or how to speak about themselves. Yeah. That's not for me to say. I'll say the way that I want to say it and I'll explain the reasoning behind that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not in any way disparaging anybody that thinks differently because we're all different. And that's the other thing about us. Of course, like, like any other group of people, you know, we are all individuals. Yeah. And what you were saying I mean, was so powerful about it not being a label, you know, that this doesn't mean that you're X, Y, Z. It's there's just a way that your brain operates that you need to be very well, the more aware you are of how you best operate in the world, the the more successful you can be. And I remember you talking to me about masking, and that's quite a common thing mm. that comes up with, with autism and how you yeah, it's more about you trying to fit into a world rather than trying to fit the world around you, um, which which can be really, I think that that is part mm. of what needs to burn out and and maybe a sense of... of oh, yeah, completely. I mean, and it's something, it's so insidious. I mean, certainly for me, I think it started from a very young age. I think probably from the age, whatever age it is, you become aware of other people around you at school and, mm. and how you fit into that yeah. little world that you just stop creating this other persona because you know when I was a child I was very very I wouldn't say I was not shy I think a lot of people make the distinct make the confusion between being shy and being introverted which is not the same thing so I wasn't shy but I was very very quiet and I was quite happy to not engage yeah but of course that doesn't really fit with the way the world works no, and, and, and what you were describing was, you know, when you do have to engage, that can be quite draining. Oh, completely. Yeah, it's exhausting. Some people might yes. not experience it. If you're extrovert, you don't experience that sort of sense of oh, just being utterly batteries flat at the end of a day where you've had to engage with people and, yes. and yeah, really operate in a, in a, in a very busy world. Mm. You're feeling exhausted, which... Yes. Come yeah, completely. And I found... For me, that's got worse as I've got older. And I think from the conversations I've been having with other people in a similar situation, it's quite common for that to be the case. I don't know why that is. I don't know why it's just like it has a, a kind of you know compound effect of mm. it just mm. builds up over years or or what it is. But I think that's another reason why it's so great now that I've been able to build this life for myself where I don't have to engage yeah. with the world in the same way. And just having that, having A, the diagnosis, but then the awareness of what works for you. And I mean, I'm so in awe of how you've you've built your own business around that. It's, it's about, you know, teaching was just a very draining profession for you. And, and, and yes. I'm sure you were a very good teacher, but it's that that element of it that just wasn't working. And so, so now working as a freelancer where you can even starting, I remember you saying, you know, starting later in the day really helps you just not having to be on point from seven, eight in the morning can really help you just to, to make the most of your, your own abilities. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's about being a little bit kinder to yourself, understanding what you need and trying to get it. That's, that's yeah. all it is basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I know I'm in a very privileged position that, you know, I've been able to make that happen for myself. I understand that not everybody is able to do that. Yeah. And that also, I mean, it's it leads so beautifully into that whole square peg and 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 how many people are trying to sort of fit themselves into this world of of, as I say, inverted commas normal. And that yeah. is exhausting in, in itself. But just understanding yourself and how best you operate and how you can 
adapt your life to, to, to your best advantage is so powerful. And I think that's what you're helping people do with the, with the podcast for sure. So congratulations. Okay. And, you know, you were talking about kindness and people being kind to yourself. So what springs to mind for you when I start to talk to you about a story that is an act of simple kindness that's impacted you? Do you know what? I actually found it really hard to think about this question. Really? Um, yeah. And I, and I was trying to pick uh, in like the way that I do, I was trying to pick apart why, what, what was kind of the barrier for me with this. And I, and I wonder whether partly it's because I've always been a very independent person and very uh, taking pride in being quite self-sufficient. Mm, mm. So the idea of kindness, it almost feels like in being needy. Well, I guess. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So I was really, I was just picking this apart, thinking, well, what's the problem with this? So I started thinking and said, but okay, what about kind people? Let's approach it from that. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the one that really stuck out for me was actually a story from my childhood, but it's really relevant to all the things we've been talking about. Okay. So it made me start thinking about my year six junior school teacher. He was a lovely, lovely chap and probably my favorite teacher mm. all the way through primary, um, primary school and towards the end of year six he took us on a trip on a school trip to France which was a big deal for me at that age mm. but my, my one little friend at school couldn't go on this trip and I really didn't have any other friends I was always a one friend person at school but it didn't really bother me I can remember my mum saying, you know, do you still want to go? And I said, of course I do. I want to go to France. You know, fantastic. So the fact that, you know, I went on my own, I sat on my own on the coach for a week because I didn't have a seatmate because everybody else was, you know, and the face you're pulling, I know. But for me, I was quite happy. I was looking out the window at the scenery. I was thinking, I was, you know, enjoying all the museums and the thing, interesting things we were seeing. And yeah. I did talk to people, you know, throughout the week. I wasn't sort of completely on my own the entire time. Yeah. But anyway, I was quite happy. And I'm sure some teachers in that situation would have looked at me and would have tried to involve me and tried to make me join in. Yeah. Which to me would have been horrendous. Because I was quite happy in my own little world. I was always quite happy when I was on my own. Yeah. Um, I am now and I always was as a kid as well. So I'm just so grateful. To me, it was an act of kindness that he just saw me. Yeah. And just let me get on with it. He talked to me throughout the week, you know, which is lovely, but he left me alone and he didn't try and you know, engineer any kind of social groupings or make me pair up with somebody. He just left me to it. And I look back now, I think that was actually a tremendously kind thing and very, oh, what's the word? Very observant, I think. It's probably a better word than that, but you know what I mean. He well, yeah. To me, it's observant and and perhaps just a little bit intuitive that he's yes, that's actually, the word I was looking for. Intuitive. What you needed was just to be, be yourself, and and that yes. yeah, saw from a, a very sort of mm. intuitive way that what yeah my my the face I pulled was oh poor Amy on her own that's breaks your yes. heart, which is what most people would think, but he yeah. didn't. Yeah. And when we came back from the trip, and I actually checked in with my mum this morning about this and said, is this actually what he said? Because uh -huh. I can't quite remember. And she said, yes, it is. And what he said to her, not to me, but to her aside from me when, when we got back was, in all my 26 years of teaching, I have never seen such a self-sufficient child. Yeah. 
And she told me that, obviously, which is how I know now, yeah, and I can remember yeah, it. Yeah. But, you know, it made me feel really happy because I, I mean, that's why I've chosen this story, because I think, you know, it happened to me when I was so young, I was 10, but he, it felt like he was the first person to ever really see me. Absolutely. And to be fine with it and be, to like, you know, actually praise me for it in a way. Yeah. And, and you know. to even find a strength in that. Yes. That's really... Rather than thinking, oh, this poor sad little child is all alone and yeah. doesn't have any friends, bless her. I'm not sure about her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's so true that often these stories of kindness do come back to these teachers, early teachers who just helped you feel seen and understood for whatever reason, you know, maybe you were struggling yes. with something and they just saw that you were trying your best, but you were actually not getting this. And it wasn't, you know, you weren't sort of being defiantly bad about it. Um, mm. But but teachers who, who are in that intuitive way, they just um, see your strengths for what they are. Uh, yeah, it is the ultimate act of kindness. So thank you. That's a beautiful story. And it really helps, again, add a little bit of insight into that position of neurodiversity, which is to say, but for some people, yeah, being super, super sociable, you know, introversion is part of it. And to just honor that and, and you know, know that that's, that's how you best operate, being self-sufficient and yes. not and having to make it okay. We don't need to make everybody into extroverts and, and make yeah. sure they're all having a good time because I'm having <laughs> a great time <laughs> looking out the window, watching the scenery go by. And I'm so glad you went on the trip and you didn't let the fact that your friend couldn't be there, you know, hamper you in any way. And, and yeah, it sounds like it was an amazingly informative trip, but also just, a, yeah, being it was a first experiment into being self-sufficient. Perhaps your yes, mum. It, it was my first time you. away from home. Yeah, yeah. At the age of 10. So, <laughs> and just goes to show yeah so acts of kindness can just be oh well I think the ultimate one is to help people feel seen help people feel understood you know if you can do that you can really open up a whole world for people and look at you yes. now that's what you're doing with this podcast that's all you're doing is just connecting people who are in the same position as you and saying yeah I get it I know exactly what you're facing yeah beautiful beautiful so I know that you know you've faced quite a few challenges on the other side of you know part of your your not having a diagnosis was that sense of knowing how you feel but not being able to really explain it in a way was was quite a challenge but what what would you say is your sort of story about a challenge that you've had to overcome I really, again, I I thought of this a lot and thought oh, there are a number of, number of things that I could have picked, but I think the one I probably want to talk about actually is what we touched on earlier on about me finding a way to change my life and mm. and make it work better for me. Yeah, um, I think you know, that that was a big challenge for lots of reasons. A lot of it to do with mindset, which obviously I managed to overcome. Yeah, you know so. I started off, when I started in teaching, I'd been doing web design up until that point. And I just decided I wanted to become a teacher, partly because I wanted to do something that felt worthwhile and would help people. Mm. And partly because I was absolutely terrified of doing it because oh, wow. I knew what my own limitations were. I knew that I was very good at, I was actually not bad at public speaking. I'd done a lot of drama at school and I, was, I, was, I wasn't a shy child. Mm -hmm. If I had a script in my hand, I was fine but it was the, the relationship part of it and having to integrate with people and, and 
yeah. that was the bit that I knew was going to be challenging. Even then, even though I didn't know that when I was autistic, I knew what my capabilities were and what my challenges were. And yeah, so the, that fear just drove me. And I was just, as soon as I had the thought, followed mm -hmm. by the fear, I then just had to do it. <laughs> um, I don't regret it. You know, I was, I was a teacher for 12 years. Yeah. I don't regret it. I learned a huge amount that I would never have learned had I not done it. Um, met people I would never have met had I not done it. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, it was a massive challenge. And I think I didn't, looking back, I can see why at the time I wasn't quite certain. And I kind of thought that everybody else must be having the same challenges. It never occurred to me that it was just me. Yeah. Not, not just me, but people like me. Just um, the role of teaching and yeah. Yes. And I think because yeah. I'd always found everything difficult, which sounds very tragic, but you know, in terms of employment and having to deal with bosses and, and, and colleagues and things, I'd always found it a massive challenge. Mm. So when this was a massive challenge, it I didn't expect anything else. Like I expected work to be really grueling and tough and exhausting because that's had been my experience yeah. since I first started working. And sadly, you know, I guess the moment of realization for you that something had to change was when you were really poorly, you know, when you were really sort of struck down with depression, which you'd sort of want that it was, it was a slightly less painful trigger. But what I love about your story is that you didn't then just give up and kind of sit and wallow in that, that you were able to say, I've learned so much from this. And now I'm going to, to, yeah, take the bits that I know I need to honor, which mm. are the introversion and, and, and work as a freelancer and, and just modify and adapt my, my working conditions until it is more fun. So do you remember when, when did it occur to you that, oh, something's got to change? That's a really interesting question, actually, because, and I've talked to several people lately about this as well, and it's a bit of a pattern amongst autistic people that we will get a job and do fairly well in the job or whatever and be fine and work really, really hard, and then we burn out. Mm. And then we leave either the job or the career, and then we'll have a bit of a rest, we're better again, and off it goes again. That cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. Wow. I now wonder, looking back, if I actually was depressed or whether it was just episodes of burnout, yeah. autistic burnout that I was getting repeatedly. I don't, because I'm, I never, I always used to refuse any kind of medication, which is not because I don't agree with that. I just didn't feel for me it was the right thing. And I think on some level, I was aware that it wasn't actually depression. Mm. but I didn't know what it was and neither did the doctors because nobody knew I was autistic. Yeah. Yeah. I think so really it was, it was just, functioning. Really. Yeah, it was a succession of burnouts and yeah. I, would, I left teaching twice before I actually left for good. Yeah. And I kept going back in because I feel better. Right. So you could sort of, as you say, almost like recharge your batteries and just take some time out. And that's all you really effectively needed. So now yes. when you operate, I mean, I'd love to hear to hear you tell people a bit more about what you actually do as a freelancer, because it's very, mm. you know, it's a really sure. interesting business that you've set up. So, yeah, so basically, um, I'll try to make this not a really, really long, convoluted story. But basically, when I was still teaching, I kind of knew that I wanted to get out. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of known for a while, I really fancied being self-employed. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. 
So I took an online course and through that online course, I sort of distilled down kind of where I want the direction I wanted to go in. But I still didn't really have a plan. So when I left my teaching job six years ago, I didn't have a plan. I had some ideas and about three months worth of money in the bank. So I had to think of something quick. Um, But what it had done for me as well is just the process of finding the person whose online course I bought and receiving her email marketing. And that was the first time I'd ever really had any kind of foray into that, that world. And it absolutely fascinated me. Actually, the process of, you know, how she got me to give her money. I thought, yeah. it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> um, so clever. You know, she was brilliant. It was great. The course was great. It was well worth the money. But just the process of how she got me to do it. Yeah. From yeah. my computer screen. It was just fascinating to me. Yeah. So to cut a long story short, I basically, I've ended up working with coaches and sort of business coaches and life coaches predominantly helping them with all of that stuff with all the back end yeah. email marketing the sales pages the landing pages the website copy um, and, and that's what's so incredible because i mean if you go to the website for your podcast the copy is incredible and that's all your own work yes yeah i mean it's just yes. brilliant you're about page i just love it i think you're, you you've done a, a really good job so it's almost like that's your own marketing tool is just here's what i build this is what i do for people and and even all the mechanics behind how to get a podcast off the ground and you know to sort of you you know all of that i mean what what i think is most amazing about you amy is the way you'll just embrace something and say you know this comes back to the self sufficiency yeah i'll just work out step by step how to do this i'll just break it down it is step by step yeah i think so many people get put off by things because they look at the final product or the big picture Mm, and it looks really daunting whereas i i looked i look at something and i'll 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 break it down whether it's for myself or for a client i think okay so you want to get here so let's reverse engineer it or let's start at the beginning and think well what's the one thing i can do yeah i'll just get this in motion whether that's you know I need to send one email or yeah, whatever it is. Build that motivation. And what I think is also really powerful is, you know, you said that, that you came into teaching because you wanted to help other people. And although you've left teaching as a role because it is just so draining for, for you as a person, mm. you're now helping people in so many powerful ways. So you're still honoring that value of wanting to help people, you know, whether it's to get their business out there, to build community. Yes. To- Exactly. And that's one of the great things about doing what I do is that I feel like I'm helping my clients to build their businesses, Mm. but I'm also helping them to help their clients. And the way they help their clients is to build their businesses and to improve their lives and and their careers. The ripple effect. And that's great. I love it. Yeah. Perfect. You've got a big smile, which is, which is fun. <laughs> so tell me, Amy, uh, as you know, we always finish up on a story around music because for me, music is such a universal language. How important is music in your life? Okay. So I've always loved music. Um, I love to sing along to music. I can't sing. But I love to sing along. Um, <laughs> in the car, so nobody else can hear. I wouldn't want to put anybody else through that. I love to dance to it. I, I, as soon as I moved to Cardiff in 2007, and one of the first things I did as I moved from a very small rural area was to find a salsa class and learn to dance. Fabulous, fabulous. Which I absolutely love. I sadly can't at the moment, of course, due to no. co- current COVID situation. There are no dances to do at the minute. But yeah, it was really tricky trying to think of a piece of music because I don't really, my brain doesn't really work that way. Mm -hmm. However, 
autistic people often have a problem regulating their emotions. And I find that with me, I have like a disproportionately emotional response to music. Oh, wow. wow. So it's not so much that I've got a specific songs that like I've never had like a our song with a yeah. partner, for example. I don't kind of work that way. Right. Um, but I do see my whole life as being mapped in songs. So, like, you know, if in a certain music, a certain song will come on, it'll take me instantly back to a moment. It could be a moment in childhood or as a teenager or whatever. So I've got loads of these. So it's yeah, yeah. impossible to pick one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the one that really sticks out to me, and it's not about a moment in my life, so I don't know how this fits into this really, but the piece of music, uh, Peer Gint Suite Number 1. Oh, bit of classical. Yes. So most of my examples are actually pop songs. I was thinking of Alanis Morissette. That takes you back straight away to one particular yeah. moment in time. Belinda Carlisle, another song. You know, the Beatles when I was a kid. All sorts of things. But this one particular one really sticks out to me. It's the music from the film Soylent Green. Have you ever seen it? No, no. So it's a 1973 sort of dystopian sci-fi type film. I love sci-fi. Right. And the piece of music, basically, I'm trying to describe this in a very quick way for people if they haven't seen the film. So basically, it's futuristic, dystopian, all the sort of natural food sources on the planet have gone, pretty much. So food is massively, so food is all kind of like created in factories. And they euthanize they have voluntary euthanasia for old people because obviously the fewer people oh to consume the resources that are left yeah. the better for everybody kind of thing so and when they go to this euthanasia place they can choose like a last everything including like a film to watch and stuff at the end right and the piece of music is played when one of an elderly character in the film goes voluntarily to be euthanized and the film they play right. is a film of earth as it used to be with like you know animals and yeah, between no, rivers and yeah, and he's never seen it before. Oh, and it's the saddest thing. Yeah, that you could ever imagine. And that piece of music, whenever I hear it, it just straight away. Yeah, just reminds you. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. yeah. Moment. And I think that, and it's funny because it's not to do with my life or anything in reality, but that's kind of how music. Yeah, affects yeah. me and yeah. triggers me. Yeah, that's such a powerful story, Amy, and that's just incredible. I so, what's the film called? It's called Soylent Green, which is the name of the food stuff that they right. produce in this factory. Wow. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a sci-fi classic. It's not probably not a great film, but certainly at the time it was quite yeah. um, quite edgy and quite forward thinking. But I think the reason that that particular one kind of resonates with me, I think, is because it is about that moment of kind of personal revelation yeah, or connection or something, a penny dropping, a moment of realisation of something. Yeah, very powerful. Very powerful. And so true that, you know, from a dystopian point of view, looking back on beautiful rivers and forests and bees and, yeah, all the mm. things that we need to keep us sustained like this, how much we have to value it. And, and Yeah, and I guess it does echo down now, isn't it, in terms of, you know, we are at a place in the world where, or a place in history where the world is at, at risk, isn't it? Yeah. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what a fascinating piece of music! I'm, I'm, yeah, give me. It's really a beautiful piece of music in and of itself. It's just, it's, but just yeah. whenever I hear it, it just completely it's takes you back to powerful. watching that scene. I even used it in an assembly once with kids. Wow, wow. Um, talking about global warming. Yeah, how powerful! That's amazing. So, thank you for sharing that. I shall add it. All of this will be in the in the show notes, as ever. 
but I'll um I'll add it to the collective wisdom podcast <laughs> playlist which you can find on Spotify and then finally we're all we're here about you know to talk about collective wisdom what's the what's the one piece of wisdom that you kind of take with you refer back to rely on the most would you say oh okay so I'm going to go back in time a bit now again it's surprising how many of my stories when I was thinking about things for this were kind of things from much longer ago but when I was 17 my dad tried to warn me about the danger of going off too far from home to go to university oh. with the expectation that I'd be able to reinvent myself and leave behind the person I was at school which is kind of what he was very yeah my dad very observant then and I think I'd never said these things but I think he knew kind of the reason why I wanted to go so far away yeah um and I still did obviously I was 17 I wasn't gonna listen to the advice of my father at that point but not in any limiting way but I've learned the hard way that it is true that you take yourself with you wherever you go um you can't outrun yourself and that's not a, ne a neg negative way that's just a to me, that's kind of like you need yeah. to do the inner work. You need to gosh, gosh. learn about yourself and kind of like hone hone your introspection almost. Yeah. Because I think we sometimes can go very far from our true selves, especially autistic people, like we were saying earlier on about the masking. It's very easy to lose yourself and to not, you know, when I when I was diagnosed, I had to almost like rebuild who I was yeah. with that new knowledge. And kind of reframe everything that happened in my life so i just think it's so important to kind of check in with ourselves and devote some time to kind of reconnecting with ourselves and learning sense. and yeah. rediscovering who we really are so we can build a kind of solid foundation almost within ourselves and learn to like ourselves so with it's all really... our flaws and challenges so we're not trying to improve necessarily it's just a case of understanding yourself and building that solid foundation I would say honor who you really are. Yeah. yeah, and being authentic and just try so that you can kind of build a more authentic life for yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's so true and so valuable. That's so important. And I think that's what you're doing today, Amy. You really are stepping into who you truly are. And that is a very beautiful person who helps other people do exactly that, which is to understand themselves. And perhaps in a non-neurodiverse world, how best they can navigate some of the challenges that come up from those. So. Yes. I mean, that's ultimately what I want to achieve with SquarePeg in some way. It's, it's in kind of progress at the moment. The podcast is kind of the start of it, really, is to help other autistic adults on their own journeys to self-understanding and enjoyable lives where they can, you know, bring their whole selves and they haven't got to hide themselves or reinvent themselves daily just to feel that they're keeping up and able to function. Yeah, brilliant. and. You know, we were talking at the beginning about I'm trying to bring now because we talk about acts of simple kindness and it's mm. ASK, which is ask mm -hmm. whether you have any asks of, of my audience, you know, any acts of simple kindness, having heard your story, how can they help you promote this, this community and this environment? Well, um, so if you go to the website, which is squarepeg.community, mm -hmm. um, so you can see that you can find the podcast there and obviously you're listening to it alone is a massive help because the more listens i get and the more subscribes i get the more people get to see it um, yep, yep. 
So that's brilliant. So if you could go and have a listen to even just to one episode and, you know, it might, you might not be autistic, but you might know somebody who is, or you might just be interested, you know? Yeah. So true. And also from the website, you can find my Patreon page as well. So um, what is really nice is that I could try and build that up a little bit um, and get more people yeah, to sponsor yeah. the work that I'm doing so that I can carry on doing it. Yeah, no, that is so powerful. So yes, anyone who's interested in learning a little bit more about mm. neurodiversity, um, autism, how people are impacted. And as you say, it's not just for yourself. It may be that there's somebody in your life or maybe someone you work with who you start to think, oh, actually, I'd just like to understand what what their worldview is and how they see things yes. and, and how that might exactly. be. Just empathy fabulous oh well thank you so much for joining me amy it's been such a joy to just hear your stories and yeah i mean i think you're a gorgeous person and you're doing such great work so thank you for bringing that with you to the podcast well thank you ever so much for having me on as a guest it's been actually the first time i've been interviewed for a podcast ever so up until well, I, i've been natural. i've been on the other side but not this side of the of the, uh, of the microphone so yeah yeah it's quite something isn't it where you have to tell your own stories but yes. no fabulous you did a brilliant thank job you. thanks thank so you. much bye now thank you so much for listening there are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from so i really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today if you found it helpful i would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us and if you haven't already you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you you can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.